find your own testimony. He is using you and his kingdom and the blessings that you receive from that. If you would, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4. I am so excited to be coming to this passage this morning. It's been one that I have been looking forward to since we started this sermon series. Um, and for those of you that were with us several weeks ago when we talked about how we came to this point of doing this sermon series on testimonies and, and doing the, the testimonies during our service and then asking our members to turn in their testimonies as well, a lot of it came um, out of study of this passage, um, of this encounter, this woman's encounter with Jesus Christ and the words that he says to her, and then her response to that encounter. As she says to her neighbors and her community, come and see. And so this morning, uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that we will come and see as well. To see the interaction between her and Christ, and to be encouraged by it, but also to be challenged to go and tell our story. And so if you would, please stand with us as we honor the reading of God's Word this morning. We are going to start, I know your bulletin says one thing, but we are going to start in verse 7, and we're going to read through 41. It's a, a somewhat long passage, and so if in the middle you need to take a seat, that's fine as well. But uh, let's read and honor the Word of the Lord this morning. Starting in verse 7, chapter 4 of John, it says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had, have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship what you, do, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that 
Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Just then His disciples came back and they marveled that He was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of, the, because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, we are thankful. For many of us, we are thankful this morning because you, at one point in our lives, met us at our own well. You met us when we were thirsty, when we were searching, and you gave us life. Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that we would remember those words Lord, that we would remember that moment. That we would remember well the things that you have done in our life since. And Lord, that we would desire to worship you in spirit and truth. That we would desire to go out into our community and say, come see this man. Father, that we would we would desire you above all things. Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that your word may go forth. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The Samaritans... Sherry, I'm going to have you stay back there. For some reason, my... Phone is not connecting, and so if you'll follow along with me, I'd appreciate it. The Samaritan woman's story is what we would consider an odd encounter. It's an odd encounter for several different reasons. For one, it's an encounter between Jews and Samaritans. Uh, kind of an odd, odd situation here, but um, the Jews and the Samaritans did not like one another whatsoever. Uh, to give you a little bit of background information, the Jews and the Samaritans didn't like each other, didn't respect each other, first and foremost, because the Jews believed the Samaritans had strayed from the law. They had intermarried with other, with other uh, ethnicities. They had followed after idols. They had 
um, worshipped in a place other than Jerusalem. And so the Jews thought that they had, the Samaritans had strayed from the law too far. And so they looked down upon them. They ridiculed them. They would do things like, they, uh, they would go out of their way not to pass through Samaria. Good Jews would double the length of their trip by crossing the Jordan, going on the other side, and then crossing back over into Galilee so they didn't have to go through Samaria. They, were, they would do things like uh, they wouldn't eat or drink out of a cup or a plate that the Samarit- a Samaritan had touched because they believed it to be unclean. If you've heard the phrase, the, the good Samaritan, or you know that parable, the reason that that parable was shocking in the first context and to the original hearers was because the Samaritan turns out to be the hero of the story. And so there was a dislike and an animosity between these two people groups that went back centuries. And so this woman finds it odd from the very beginning. She finds it difficult to understand why Jesus, a Jewish man, would talk to her, a Samaritan. But it wasn't just an odd encounter because of Jews and Samaritans, but it was an odd encounter as well because it was a discussion between a man and a woman. You'll notice that she makes mention of this in verse 9 when she says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then you see it again, this astonishment um, at a man and a woman talking in verse 27 when it says, just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. You see, in this context and in this time in history, it was rare and even scandalous for a man and a woman who were not married and not related to talk with one another. That wouldn't happen normally. And if it did, it was kind of looked at sideways. Um, Now we side hug. Then they just didn't talk to one another. Um, But... It was an, So you have this second oddity, Jews and Samaritans, men and women, okay? So two things here now that are odd, that are different about this encounter. The third thing that makes this an odd encounter is an odd time, it was an odd time to go to the well. You'll notice uh, in, right before we started our reading in verse 6, it says, Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. If your Bible has footnotes, you may have a footnote that says that the sixth hour would have corresponded uh, somewhere around noon. So Jesus, it makes sense, he's on a trip, it's the heat of the day, he stops by the well because he's tired, but what is this woman doing? Noon is not when you go and gather the water for the day. If you want water for the day, you go with everybody else at the beginning of the day, in the cool of the day, that you have water for the whole 24 hours to come. Maybe you go back in the evening to get water for some livestock or if you needed a little bit extra, but you didn't, certainly didn't go in the middle of the day. So what's this woman doing out here? Well, it's obvious as we read through the rest of the chapter, she doesn't want to bump into anybody. She's hoping that no one is at the well. The only reason you go to the well at, the, at noon is because you don't want to deal with the, society, the rest of society. You don't want to have conversations. You don't want to be talked to. Or you're trying to avoid somebody. And we'll find out, we find out later in the chapter why she's doing that. 
It's interesting, though, that this odd encounter, this woman that doesn't want to find anyone, this woman who wants no one to talk to her, this woman who obviously has some baggage that she meets with not just anyone, but she meets with the holy God, the perfect one. And he wants to talk to her. Do not think that is an accident. Do not think for a minute that it is an accident that Jesus chose to walk through Samaria and that he chose to stop at this well. He knew where she would be. He knew who she was. And he wanted to talk to her. The odd encounter continues in their conversation. First, it begins with a misunderstanding about water. Jesus opens the conversation in a very casual way. I mean, after all, they're at a well. What else do you talk about? He says, give me a drink. And she's like, this is weird. <laughs> I don't know you. You're obviously a Jew. Like, I was hoping not to even talk to anybody today. I didn't really want to see anybody. And now you're asking me for a drink. I'm just not sure about this. To which Jesus responds, if you only knew who was in front of you. If you only knew who was in front of you, you would ask, be asking me for a drink. And the woman completely misunderstands. She thinks that he's talking about physical water. And so they kind of have a little bit of a back and forth about how is that even possible? You obviously can't get into this well and so on and so forth. And Jesus continues to kind of build towards this conversation of, water that is different than anything she had ever had. You see, Jesus is trying to get her to understand that she is thirsty for something more than just water. That she has been searching for something. This is a, a basic part of sharing the gospel with anyone, anytime we come into contact with, is helping them to understand that we are searching for something and we all do it. We are all thirsty for something more. Some of us look for meaning or purpose to life. Some of us are looking for security and safety. Some of us are looking for unconditional love or acceptance. Some of us are looking for power, for fulfillment, for contentment. But we're all thirsty. We all are looking for something. And Jesus is bringing this to, her to, to this to her attention and saying, I have what you are looking for. I have water that will cause you never to thirst again. She, of course, continues to misunderstand what he's talking about. She says, sir, give me this water that I may not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. This statement is twofold. One, she doesn't want to have to be thirsty again. I mean, can you imagine living in a desert area and being told, hey, I have something that you'll never have to worry about being thirsty ever again? That, that in itself sounds pretty exciting. But I think for this woman, you'll notice that she says, not just so that I will not be thirsty, she says, so that I don't have to come back here ever again. Remember, this is a woman who goes out of her way to avoid others. She doesn't want to be around people. She doesn't want to have conversations that go very deep. She wants to avoid those things at all costs. And so the idea of not just, not only not being thirsty again, but the idea of not having to come and to socialize and be exposed is appealing to her. So they start with this misunderstanding about water, and then it goes a step farther. She says, 
give me a drink of this water. And so Jesus takes it the next step and he makes a specific request. He makes a specific request. He says, go, call your husband and come here. If you want the water that I'm talking about, then go grab your husband. Share it. Surely you would want to share, right? If, if you were, someone came to you and said, hey, I can give you water that makes you never thirst again, or I can give you food that'll never make you be hungry again, surely you would want to share that with somebody else. So go get your husband. I can only imagine what this woman thinks at this moment. This is the conversation that she didn't want to have. This is why she came at noon. She didn't want to talk about this specific thing. And now this complete stranger who shouldn't be talking to her about the first place says the one thing, the one thing that she wants to hide. It's a very specific request. And so she responds to her credit with honesty. But not the whole truth. She says, I don't have a husband. She's still not wanting to talk about the issue. She still doesn't want to expose herself too much. So she tells a truth, just not the whole truth. I don't have a husband. And then Jesus does something remarkable. He exposes everything in her closet. <laughs> he says, you're right. You tell the truth. In saying, I have no husband, you have had five husbands. And the one you are with now is not your husband. And this woman is ashamed. She's like, I've been from one relationship to another, to another, to another. You see, Jesus not only, not only, not only brings to her understanding that she's thirsty, but he brings to her attention that she has been looking in all the wrong places. To her credit, she has been looking for love and, and purpose and uh, unconditional acceptance. She's been looking at those things exactly where the world tells her to look. The society that she lives in, the culture that she lives in says, if you want purpose as a woman, then you need to raise a family. If you want unconditional love, if you want acceptance, then you need to find the right man. You need to get married. She is doing what the world is telling her to do. But it is failing her. It is failing her. Jesus is exposing the problem He's saying you're thirsty, you want love, you want acceptance, you want purpose, you want meaning. It's things we all want. And he says, but you are looking where the world is telling you to look, and it is failing you. The same could be said of us. We want all of those things as well. And so we look for them in the places that the world tells us to look. We look in a better job. And when that job doesn't fulfill us, then we go to the next job. And when that job doesn't fulfill us, then we go to the next one. We look in the gathering of wealth. We constantly want more because we think that it'll bring us security and safety. We look for it in relationships. Certainly the world tells us that if you just find the right partner, that you, everything will be better. That if you have a good family, that everything will be wonderful. We all shoot for that 
that Norman Rockwell painting of everyone around the table, happy and gathered together. But what we find out is that when we chase those things, we come up empty. The rich man figures out that money can't buy everything. The powerful man realizes that power brings insecurity because everyone's aiming for you. The person that tries to find their acceptance and their purpose and their meaning in another person realizes that that other person always lets you down and very rarely satisfies all of your desires. The person searching for the Norman Rockwell painting in a family realizes that that's not how families work. I love, uh, I love meeting with families. Unfortunately, a lot of times when I do that, it's in a time of grief around a funeral, but it always amazes me, without fail, meeting with the family, someone in the family will say something along the lines of, you must think our family odd. You must think our family strange. To which my response is always, no, I think you have a family, and we all have oddities. <laughs> We're all strange. But when we try to find, when we try to find our Meaning, when we try to find our purpose, when we try to find those things that we are thirsty for, where the world points us, what we find is that those things are empty. It's like drinking motor oil when you're thirsty. So he asks her this specific request. He exposes not just that she has a need, but he exposes that she's been looking in all the wrong places. But he does it in a different way. When you read the words of Christ, it's with as much kindness as he can give. You can imagine if he knows everything about her. He knows all about these relationships. He knows about the failures of her past marriages. He knows about her current living situation. But notice that he says, hey, you're being honest. You haven't told me the whole truth, but you're being honest. This is different than what she's experienced. She's, remember, she's avoided everybody else because with the rest of society, there's condemnation, there's judgment, there's the sideways glances, there's the little, the little whispers under the breath about, that she knows are about her. She wants to avoid all of that. And yet here is a man who shouldn't be talking to her, exposing the very thing that she doesn't want, but he does it with kindness. That's weird. And so she begins to question, who is this man? Who is this guy? Who is this guy that he knows everything about me, seemingly? He knows my, my shame. He knows my desires. Like, he, he seems to know everything about me, and yet he's kind to me. And, and so she begins to realize this isn't a normal conversation. Suddenly, this isn't about water at all. This is about something deeper. And so she says a very interesting comment. She says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. I perceive that you are a prophet. She knows just enough about spiritual things to think maybe this is a spiritual conversation. There's something that God's opening her eyes to, and she's like, maybe he's a prophet. And so she asks him a spiritual question. She understands that that's the direction the conversation is going. So she asks him a spiritual question. You know what? And it's the spiritual question of the day. 
You see, the Samaritans believe that they should worship in Samaria. The Jews believe that you should only worship in Jerusalem. So she says, this is a spiritual question. I'll ask a spiritual, or this is a spiritual conversation. I'll ask a spiritual question. My guess is, if I had to put money on it, I don't gamble. But if I had to put money on it, my guess would be one of two things. This is the only spiritual question she knows to ask. And number two, she probably really doesn't care about the answer. But she realizes God is opening her eyes that she is in a spiritual conversation, so she asks the question of the day, and she expects the answer that everyone gives. And Samaritans are obviously going to say, you should worship in Samaria. Jews are obviously going to say, you worship in Jerusalem. Brothers and sisters, when we share the gospel, do we understand, I love what one commentator says, do we understand that when we share the gospel, we, we preach to graveyards? We preach to dead people every time. They don't understand, and once so were you. You did not understand spiritual things, and so you just go to what you know. So when we share the gospel, when we try to have spiritual conversations with the passerby on the road, with the person that sells us our gas, or the waitress at our, at our table, or our friend, or our coworker, we need to understand that more than likely when we share the gospel, they're not going to get it right away, and that's okay. Are you willing to be patient? And as Jill was talking about on the, the video, are you willing to ask the spiritual questions that they may have, that they don't even know why they're asking it? other than this is a spiritual conversation and this is what I know. Are you willing to be patient to answer those questions? Even though you know there's a deeper thing that need, is needed here. Will you answer the questions? And oh, if I could help understand this point, sometimes the best thing you can say is, I don't know. It's okay to say, I don't know. To say, let's grab a Bible and look. That's okay. That's sometimes the best thing you can do. Many times it is. She asked this question, who is this man? And she asked him this question, and notice his answer. It's interesting. She, he doesn't answer the way she's expecting. He says in verse 23, I'm going to skip part of the answer, but it says in verse 23, the hour is coming is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. He says, hey, Lady, it doesn't matter. <laughs> the question you're asking, the question that you're, the answer that you're looking for, it's not about the where. It's about the how. How are you worshiping? It's not a ritual. It's not about coming to one temple. It's not coming to one altar and saying, and going through the ritual aspects of worship, it's about whether you actually put your faith and trust in Christ and you are worshiping Him out of a relationship. That's what matters. Now, don't mishear me. Don't think I just gave you the ability not to come to church. We are commanded to gather together. We are meant to worship together and to do that on a regular basis. But we're not meant to come to church and just go through the tradition. We're not meant to come to church and just go through a ritual and then walk out of here and say, well, I got that done for the week. We are to come to this place to gather together that we may praise the one who has saved us and to, and to give honor to the one that we love, to the one that we respect, to the king that we follow and obey. So he 
he flips her question on its head. It's not about a place. It's about a heart. This answer to her question leads to a realization. He answers her question in an unexpected way, and it dawns on her. By the way, this part, verse 25 and 26, understand that this is a work of the Holy Spirit. Understand that this is God in her life opening her eyes to things that she otherwise would not see. When he tells her all the things that in her life, when he answers this question in this way, there is something that the Holy Spirit does inside of her that it, she recognizes what's happening in that moment. It's a miracle of God. And she, she, she makes a statement. She dare not ask the question. She dare not presume. She dare not hope that this is the one that they've been talking about. She just simply makes the statement, I know that the Messiah is coming. He is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. She's like, that answer is different. Your ability to know my life is different. Could this be? Could this be him that we've waited on, that we've talked about, that we've hoped for, that we desire? Could this be? She comes to this realization. We see it when you share the gospel. If the Lord is good, in that moment, you see it in their eyes, that moment that they realize that this is what they need. You see it in that moment that they understand the gospel and they accept it. There's a moment of realization, and she says, I get it. Like, and, but she's too afraid to, to ask it directly. So she just says, we, we know about the Messiah, and Jesus' answer is, Fantastic. He responds to her, I who speak to you am he. Now Jesus in the Gospels, it's not often that he, he clearly and without, uh, without any hidden meaning just comes out and says, I'm the Messiah. He doesn't do that very often. The major, pro, the major reason for that is the Jewish people completely misunderstand who the Messiah is. They think he's going to be a, a physical, political king that's going to conquer Rome and bring them back to political glory, which is not what he came to do. He came to deal with a much more serious problem, our rebellion against God. And so he, didn't, he doesn't often identify himself as the Messiah because there's misunderstanding there. But to this woman, in this moment, who is desperate for water, who is desperate for life, he says, you're talking to him. You're talking to him. And she believes. She trusts him. And we only have to look at the follow-up to understand it. The follow-up to this odd encounter of a Jewish man and a Samaritan woman this odd encounter of a misunderstanding about water that leads to the gospel and her understanding that he is the Savior, we see the realization because she drops everything. In verse 27, it says, Just as the disciples came back, they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? You know, we make, by the way, side note, we make fun of the disciples a lot that they stick their, feet, their foot in their mouth. This is one time when they probably were wise and just not saying anything at all. And says in verse 28, so The woman left her water jar and went away into the town. 
The purpose, the reason that she had come was water. She had come with a job. She had come with looking for something. But she realizes in her encounter with Jesus that that doesn't matter anymore. She stops everything. She puts it all down. This is the reality of what you see in a person's life when their life comes into an encounter with Christ. Nothing else matters. They drop everything. And she turns and runs to tell others. It says she put down her water. She left her water jar and she went away into town and the people and said to the or went into town and said to the people, "Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Could this be the Christ?" She leaves her water jar. She runs into town to tell everyone that she knows what has just happened because the natural outpouring of someone that has encountered God is for us to tell about it. The natural thing for someone that has encountered Jesus Christ is for them to run and to tell. I was, I was uh, at training with uh, the International Mission Board before I went to Madagascar, and they put you in houses based more or less on where you're going in the world. And there were four young men that had just graduated college that were in my uh, quad, and they were fantastic. Man, they were on fire for the Lord, and you would take them places, and if you were at a restaurant, they were sharing Christ with the waitress, and if you took them to Walmart, they were stopping random strangers in the aisles and telling them about Christ. It was both wonderful and at times a little inconvenient, <laughs> but it was, fan it was awesome. And the great thing about these guys is they would share Christ with everyone and it was infectious and you wanted to be a part of it. You're like, yeah, that's what we should be doing. And so you wanted to go with them and you wanted to be around them. But they, they were babies in their faith. I mean, they were coming to me all the time like, hey, I don't understand this passage. Would you kind of help me with this? Hey, I don't, I don't quite get this. At the time, I was fasting with a buddy of mine about a particular situation they wanted to know everything about that because they'd never met anyone that fasted. They'd never met any. They didn't know what it was or why I was doing it. They, they were babies in the faith in a lot of ways, but they were, they were on fire to share. And so one day I remember stopping uh, one of them and I said, okay, you got to tell me, brother, where did this come from? This is not normal. Where did this come from? And he said, the man that led all four of us to Christ, when he led it, when we when Christ saved us, when we accepted him as our Savior, the first thing he told us was, now go tell somebody. It wasn't read your Bible. It wasn't pray. It wasn't, go, it was, go, now go tell somebody. And they said, it, it's been really interesting that as we go and talk with people about Christ, then when they have questions, then it drives us to the Bible. When they don't understand, then it drives us to pray for them. When they don't get it, it we want to go back to church and ask other believers to pray with us that everything else that we so often put first falls in line after the telling. And I think as a church, we have done a disservice to new believers in that we've said, don't tell anybody about it yet. Go do a Bible study. Go pray. Let's teach us about this thing. And we've reined them in instead of letting them loose. Can you imagine if Jesus, she would have put her water jar down and ran into town and Jesus is running after her and tackles her and says, don't tell anybody yet. We got we to gotta indoctrinate you first. You don't know what you're doing. 
Oh, that we would tell me we would be so hungry to tell our story. That that would lead us into the Bible farther. That that would, in, that would lead us into the prayer closet more. That that would lead us back to this place to say, pour into me because I need to go more. She runs and tells others. And then it's amazing what happens. Their curiosity brings them out. This woman that had been an outcast in society runs back into town. Like, You've got to meet this guy. You've got to see what he's doing. Could this be the one we've waited on? And they're like, She's lost it, but let's go see. Let's go see. We don't have anything else going on. Let's go out there. So they go out there. And what happens is amazing. One of my favorite lines in all of Scripture, they believe. It says in verse 42, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is why we share our story. Because there will be some that out of curiosity come to meet Christ, and they find the truth. They find out He is the Savior of the world. Because we're all looking. We're all thirsty. We've all been searching in the wrong place. Some will hear our testimony and they will say, that's it. They believed. This is why we, why we are driving to learn our own testimonies better. Not just a, the story of our salvation, but what God has done since then. So that we may say to those we meet, come and see, so that they may believe, that they may have their own testimony. Because if we are not sharing what God is doing in our lives, if we are not sharing what, how He has changed our life, if we are not sharing the magnificent glory that He brings, then how are they ever going to know? Why would they ever come into a church if they have not heard what He has done in your life? They believed. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you find yourself connecting with this Samaritan woman. Maybe you find yourself alone. You're sitting in a room full of people, but you feel absolutely alone. Then you connect with this woman. Maybe this morning... You feel like you're hiding in plain sight. We are experts at having a mask. So that no one knows who we are. No one knows what we're really dealing with. No one knows the problems that we are encountering. Maybe this morning you would say, I'm hiding in plain sight. Just like this woman. I don't want people to ask me questions. I don't want them to know what's going on. Maybe this morning you feel like you're trapped by your own mistakes. You feel trapped in your own mistakes. We've all done things that we would rather not think about. We've all done things that we would rather no one else know about. Maybe you feel this morning that there's no way forward. That you're always going to carry the guilt. That you're always going to have this thing that's hidden away. That weighs you down. This morning, this woman 
at the well, and Scripture invites you to come and see. Come and see a God who knows everything already. Jesus already knows everything this woman has ever done. He already knows about all her relationships, and He still wants her. He still desires to have a relationship with her. He still desires to talk to her. He knows everything about you already. Come and see a God who sees you. When you may feel ignored by the rest of the world, when you may feel like nobody would really want to know the real you, know that there is a God who knows everything about you and that He wants you. Come and see a God who forgives and restores. A God who forgives and restores. This woman had ran the other way from God. She had rebelled against Him. She had tried to look for life in all the wrong places. And yet Jesus' invitation to her is, come here. Come here. I give life. He doesn't hold her past against her. He doesn't remind her of it time and again, only to show her her need and to let her know that he alone forgives. That he alone brings life. This morning, you can know life. You can know the answer to all those questions, all those things you've been looking for. To know security in him, to know fulfillment in him, to know contentment in him, to know acceptance in him, to know unconditional love in him. You would like that today. It's, an, it's a conversation with him. It's, it's a prayer. Father, forgive me for trying to do it my own way. Father, forgive me for thinking that I can live life my own way and find all of these things. I want to do it your way now. I believe in you, and I want to follow you. If you'll have that, I promise you that you will know the same that this woman finds. I promise you that you will know him well. If you've already done that this morning, then the next part's not going to surprise you. If you have already had this encounter, you've already had Christ turn your life around. You've already had that meeting at the well, so to speak, where you understood your need for Christ, and He has fulfilled that, and He has gone far and above anything you could ever imagine this morning. Who are you telling? What is your testimony? What's your story? What would you run into town and tell these people what would you run in back into Vandalia and say? What's your story of what he has done in your life? Who are you telling it to that they may know, that they may come and meet Christ? And who are you praying for? We talked about that, that those two verses where she realizes that he's the Messiah. That's a work of the Lord. That's a miracle. And so we pray. We tell them And we pray for them. Lord, change their lives. Who are you praying for? This morning I'm going to have the praise team come back up and we're going to have a time of response this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like this woman and you're thirsty. You have been searching for something. And what you have found is that everywhere that the world tells you to look, it comes back empty. Then this morning... He is inviting you. He's speaking to you this morning. He is the giver of life. 
Will you have that conversation with him this morning? And if you do, tell someone. Come find me. I know it's scary to walk forward, but come, come find me. Come grab me. Come grab one of our other members. We want to tell you about what's next. We'll be so excited to do so. This morning, maybe you're here and you've already had that meeting. Will you make the commitment to go and tell so that others may believe as well? Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and Lord, we thank you. Father, we thank you that you met us. Lord, that you didn't just leave us to our own designs, that you didn't leave us thirsty, but that you came and found us, that you put people in our lives who told us about you so that we may believe as well, that you have satisfied our thirst, that you've given us life and life abundantly, Lord, we thank you. Father, give us the boldness this morning. Give us the boldness this week to go and to tell others, to share with them, this is what God's done in my life. I've experienced the same things you have. I know what it's like to go through that. But here's what he's done for me. Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that we would see you work in marvelous ways. Lord, help us to make those commitments this morning. We ask this in your name. Amen. This morning you